What a spirit of worship here today. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Pastor Corey, if we haven't met. This is my lovely wife, Pastor Eric. Um, I like the way you did your hair this morning. It's very cute. What you may not know is that sometimes I wake up early Sunday mornings and do her hair for her. So, um, Also, if you don't get sarcasm, this might not be the church for you. We like to tease each other around here a little bit. It's because we love each other. You ever been in a good, solid family that just kind of tease each other just because they love each other? So, um, anybody have like a hard week this week? I, Friday, everything was great until Friday. And then Friday, it has to do with Liverpool. Um, you know, I don't know if it's being judged for making fun of Manchester United fans as devil worshippers. But Jurgen Klopp, who's like one of the best managers in the world right now, has decided to step down from Liverpool. So if you know any Liverpool fans, we are emotionally hurting right now. He's actually a Christ follower. The funny thing is he's like, anyways, he's a Christ follower, which is awesome. Um, so I, emotionally, I don't know where to go today. You know, sometimes when you preach all them sermons that God tells you to, and then your good clock still leaves. <laughs> Have you ever prayed that your sports team would win? Yeah, not a great prayer. I've done that, but it's not a great prayer. Okay, um, there's something, there's a group of people here that I want to, I want to call out something in you that, you know, we always say half our church has never been to church before, um, but there's a group of you that did you did grow up with the foundations of Christianity in your home. You were taught it by your parents. You grew up in Sunday school. You know who Jonah is. You know who the whale is. You know who David and Goliath is. You have had investment of the generations of Christians that came before you, and you have had God's investment in your life. I want to call that investment out of you. Because if you remain a spectator at Venue Church... You will, you will be robbing the other half of the church from what they need from you that you've got. So I want to challenge you. Get involved in a small group. I want to challenge you that maybe one day you'll be leading a small group of people who are like, we don't know who Jonah is and we feel bad about it coming to church. And you'll be like, don't feel bad. Here's what Jonah is. Let me go through this with you. Let me give you the foundations of the Christian faith and the Christian worldview. Let me tell you about salvation. Like, What does salvation really mean? Uh, salvation is... God sent his so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. He died on a cross. He was resurrected from the dead because death couldn't hold the sinless one. But he was sacrificed as a final sacrifice for your sins. Because your sins in that darkness kept you away from a holy God. So that is the adoption price for you to come into the family of God. Now we got to give God all of the rest too. And we need your help. We will introduce them to Jesus, but we need your help to make them fully devoted followers of Jesus. And you could show them. I'm calling you out. You need to get involved in church. And uh, Pizza with Pastors is coming up. You need to get involved in that. Stop playing the, the Christian like, I'm just here to check things out. I'm like, that is not what God has called you to do. And today's sermon is going to be a, kind of a legacy sermon that we're going to ask a, a bigger question, a better question, I think, than most of us are asking right now. Um, today is called Your Tombstone. And we're still talking about money and emotions. Do you guys like the new Sean? It's, much, it's quite an improvement. Um, the old Sean is in uh, Hawaii with 
uh, Nasia, his lovely wife. And so, yeah, Renee. Also, is it bad to pray for rain in Hawaii? You know how it is when somebody's like, I just got back from like a month in Hawaii. They're not there for a month. But like a month in Hawaii and it rained and you're like, oh, that's sad. Um, I'm going to be talking about your funeral. And so um, it's going to be more of an emotional sermon because so far it's been very practical um, about budgeting and giving. I want to maybe suggest to you that the practical reasons... I think you need a non-practical reason to do the practical thing. So I think humans make decisions right here. I think you're like, oh, I'm so smart. I make all my decisions intellectually and, and sin too. So I don't know how smart we are, but you know, when I met Pastor Aaron, something happened here. And then she fed me cranberry chicken and something really happened here. And I'm like, I need this woman in my life. And I'll tell you, when you meet Jesus, you know, I was talking to somebody who's like, I'm trying to get my friend to church. He's like hard against God, industry guy. I mean, I, I used to work with them, right? I get it. I get it. And I'm like, come. I'm so convinced that when you meet Jesus, all of your thoughts and everything starts shifting around and jumbling around all the things your dad told you to say and all the things that you believe because your mom hated God and blamed him for something he didn't do. I'm like, when you come and meet somebody, nobody else can tell you that that didn't happen. And so but you make decisions right here. That's why we try to create a church in the way that we did, because we want people to meet Jesus and then we'll work it out. And so, um, but you know, at funerals, I get a little bit weird. I, and in a church like ours, uh, I'm not trying to negate the fact that somebody here has been to a funeral in the last couple of weeks. I think it's an incredible opportunity when somebody passes into the next life to ask some real questions. I always, and this is the weird part for me, I always see myself when I'm sitting there as if I'm in the box up here. And it affects me incredibly deeply. And I want to bring that sense to you today because I think what it could do is drive a question into your life that you could live the rest of your life for. So that when you get here, uh, nobody have to make up nice things to say about you. Thanks, Renee. Will people have to lie at my funeral? You know, I think about this sometimes. Will people have to like make up stuff at my funeral? My mom was at a funeral one time. It, it deeply affected me after she told me this. She said, um, I was at the funeral of this man. Actually, his daughter was our, my dad's worship leader for decades. And, um, and it was uh, her dad's funeral. And her dad, um, she's like, ah. I mean, there's good Christian funerals and there's weird Christian funerals, but she's like, it's almost like everybody in that family worshiped him. She goes, I was almost sick to my stomach afterwards of how much of this dripping worship of a person, but she, the trouble is she knew the person and the kids he had produced because she was pastoring them. And she's like, I know that this man was not even not perfect, but you would never even, if you met him, you would say like so far, one of those kind of like, I would say weird, religious, rebellious Christians that doesn't really go to church and doesn't really do it. You know what I'm saying? Like wants to tell you what to do, but doesn't do it. You know, one of those types of Christians, which is maybe the reason that you left church a long time ago, but just that, that sort of dripping, self-righteous, prideful person. And she said, it made me sick that they were literally making things up about him, but they actually believed it. And I was thinking at my funeral, like, you know, like, 
you know, if Layton says something, is he going to have to make something up that makes me sound better than I actually was? What will be the effect of my life? Because, because as I looked at that person and the, the residual effect, I'm looking, I'm like, did, did he have a zero residual effect on the earth when he left? Like a zero residual, like in five years, are you ever going to remember his name or anything that happened from his life? Because how well you slam Baconators, nobody's going to care about in five years. It's not a talent. The car you drove, nobody's going to care about and nobody's going to remember and somebody else will be driving it. So the, the real questions uh, about this, um, you know, because my, my parents also had to, to, to pastor the generation that he raised, his kids, and, and, and his kid, you know, one of his kids was our worship leader and... and I mean, this is not the type of worship leader that we would have at Venue Church anymore. My dad, as a pastor, was uh, very patient. Maybe slightly more so than I am, but it would be like Renee on stage. But every week, it seemed like this worship leader would break down into sobbing for like three minutes straight. So you got to understand, if you're not a guy, you got to understand what three minutes of sobbing does for us. It's like us talking to you about the car that we love and why we need to buy it for three minutes. It's worse than dying. And uh, we have a men's breakfast coming up. Get your men into that breakfast, by the way, a couple weeks. Now, I'm going to be talking to the men about like, why venue has to be a church that men like to go to. And it is. But why, why it has to remain a church that men like to go to. Two reasons. One, women are more spiritual. So we could meet under a tree in the middle of winter and y'all would show up. The second thing is, because statistically, if, a man, if the man in the house comes to Christ, 91% of the time his whole family comes to. If the wife comes, it's like 20-some percent. So we have to recognize that I think that men have been pushed off to the side because the devil knew if he could push us out of the way that he could get to everybody else too. I think if we're going to call the men out and be like, come on, it's time to rise up and do what God has called us to do, sons of God. Nobody can do what God has called us to do. Anyways, I'm getting all worked up. But you know, like what happens if, if the worship leader every week, you know that it's coming and they start weeping and weeping. <laughs> I just can't even, you know, and every man in the room just crawls into a, I was going to say emotional hole, but it's not, it's a non-emotional hole of like, I'm just going to think about work right now because this makes me so uncomfortable. It's, it's why venue church can't be decorated like a women's conference. <laughs> Women, you got the if gathering coming up, you decorate the heck out of the church. Paint it pink. We don't care. Just paint it back before the men come back through. We do not want to see a whole bunch of flowers when we come in everywhere, you know. It smells like flowers. That's why I like my church. I'm like, no, man, I want it to smell like a garage. Um, what, what honest words if your tombstone was carved today? Not what you wish. Not what you want one day to do. You know, people who never whose lives don't matter in the end, didn't ask the questions that matter now. You always tell yourself, well, in 20 years, I will. No, you won't. If you don't do it in the next 20 minutes, you won't do it in 20 years. Well, what, what would honestly be carved on your tombstone right now? Um, here's some tombstones I ran across. Raised four beautiful daughters with only one bathroom. I'll give that to him. Uh, here's another tombstone. I was hoping for a pyramid. <laughs> Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. Somebody put a recipe for K's fudge on their tombstone. 
I'm like, that's great. You just leave the fudge, man. Like, <laughs> My favorite one came from New Jersey. I told you I was sick. <laughs> what do you want your tombstones to say? I mean, words that are going to outlive you. You know why COVID landed so hard on people? Because most people had never thought they might die. They had never thought that to themselves. I might die. What happens next? That's why people got afraid and then angry and then crazy. Is because they had never wrestled through something in the daylight. And when the night came, they didn't know what to do with it all. Um, I'm already planning my own funeral. Now... We have a massive budget in our venue, in our venue line budget, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars for Pastor Corey's funeral. <laughs> also, if, if you don't speak sarcasm, you're not going to get this church spray. Hundreds of thousands of dollars because my wife will not throw me the funeral that I deserve because she's into Dave Ramsey and budget and she's too cheap. And, um, no, not, not amen, <laughs> not amen. And I'm thinking she's too cheap. She won't even print the flyers that you hand out. And she's like, you know what? He's gone. He's in heaven. We need to feed the poor with this money. And I'm like, but we should remember me really. I think you're going to have to rent Genesis place. Honestly, I, I think you're going to have to buy shuttle buses and There's a lot of people who love me a lot. I think you should advertise it. $2,000 of that budget is just on Kleenex because... You're going to cry a lot. And I don't want you to like surprise cry when you're there. I want you to practice cry. I want you to look at yourself in a mirror today, put on wind beneath my wings, which I also want you to sing. It's going to be a tough day for most of the world. I think, you know, my cousins at my grandma's funeral sang wind beneath my wings. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm glad she's not here for this because they didn't grow up in church singing. And I'm like, this is new. And I... I don't think she would like this. <laughs> I've written out stuff that I want you to say about me. Like he was so patient. <laughs> Here lies a patient man. <laughs> he was so nice. Why didn't we appreciate? Why do we appreciate him more? You know, as a seven-year-old boy, I often envision myself dying and then being at my own funeral and my mom being like, why did I ask him to take the garbage out? We just didn't appreciate him like we should have. And I'll be at my funeral. I'll be like, that's what you get for asking me to take the garbage out. I have these all visions of... <laughs> if you got a seven-year-old boy, he's literally had that thought. <laughs> Worship and production teams, like, look, this is going to be the most important service of my life, really. 
and I'm not going to be there to dial you guys in, and I'm going to be real upset if it doesn't go well, <laughs> and if the computer fails. The trouble is, you know, as, as moving as your speech will be about me, the best speaker is still going to be on a box, in a box on the stage, and so, but don't, don't worry about it. My funeral, you're going to laugh so hard you feel bad. I told my wife, you know, I said, Aaron, I said, you can marry whoever you want after. I don't, you're never going to be able to like replace somebody like this, but, but I said, you know what? But because of that, I think if you, I think I should be stuffed and put on the couch <laughs> so that, and if your new husband is cool with that, I'll be cool with that too. I've actually thought, what would my tombstone actually say? What would your tombstone say if it was written today? And your life was summed up in one phrase. Did the resources that you've been given, did it solve the problem that you were put on this earth to solve? As we talk about money, I want to give you an emotional reason why we got to get it right. And I, I want you to connect to something that one day you will be fully living in, but I want you to feel it now so when you get there, you don't have any regrets about your life. Will anybody remember your name five years after you're gone? Then what on earth are you doing? Do you have a worthy obsession that guides your resources? You know, everybody wants to matter now. I don't think you can matter until your obsession matters. I think everybody's obsessed with something. And I think if you're obsessed about the wrong thing, that you're going to get to the end of your life. And if your obsession didn't matter, I don't think your life is going to matter. Do you have a worthy obsession that guides your resources, that tells them where to go because of what you really want? Are you living for something you wouldn't die for? Because if you are, today is the day that that changes. Today is the day that you pick up something that heaven says is worth dying for so that it's worth living for. But if you're living for something that's not worth dying for, you're going to waste your life. You know, my obsession in my life doesn't come from my happiness. It actually comes from my pain. And one of the reasons that venue looks the way that it does, and one of the reasons we have incredible kids programs and are bringing kids into the faith early is that when I was a kid, I grew up in a beautiful home, Pastors Richard and Beth. I mean, great parents, good Christian home, good churches. I mean, my dad was my pastor for years, but when I was very little, the enemy went after me and it's what's called de demonic oppression. You know, like I see dead people. Yeah, kind of like that. But I would have night terrors for hours and hours and like hallucinations and it was terrifying and awful. And, and that actually, all that pain in your past actually feeds a fire that I can't live in a world where the devil has access to kids. So we got to have the best kids program that we can because I can't live in a world that a kid comes in from a broken home and can't find hope and can't find adventure and can't find salvation and can't find purpose, even in all of the pain. 
You know, it affords me great daily budget sacrifice because I've actually thought about this because I've actually thought, what are we going to leave behind us now in all of our talk about resources, God wants you to be safe and secure as a family. He wants, he doesn't want you to, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack no good thing. You know, he doesn't want you to lack anything. I think as a Christ follower in this nation, you have to, I think you have to have a vision to own your own home. I don't care if you've misspent money in the past, if your dad and if nobody in your family line has ever done anything but rent, I think you need to get a vision to own your own home because I think God wants his children to have homes. I think you need to make sure that God has a home first. But I think you need to get a vision for it because if you have a vision for it, you know the best volunteers in the church? Ready? People in families who own their own homes because people come to Jesus when you do. And I think that, that you need to get a vision for that. I, I think we go on great vacations. But we don't go on vacation. Our life is not made up to vacation. Our vacations are there so that we can come back rested and get back to the work that God put us on this planet for. But it's easy to live in the present only. You know, in the book of Judges, it's talking about Joshua's generation here. So um, if you didn't grow up in church, Israel comes out of Egypt. Moses pastors of millions of people who are just knuckleheads. They came out with a slavery mindset, complaining, entitled. Why do we don't have that? We don't want to do anything. And uh, God finally is just like, look, you guys, if you just want to die out in this 11-day journey and you want to spend 40 years and the whole generation die, if that's what you want, then, you know, God's like, I'll respect that. It's your choice. But their kids' generation came out. So Joshua, when he enters the promised land, is quite old, but he brought... Joshua and Caleb are the only people who entered the promised land. And so he raised the next generation who came up, but they were a different people. They were a kingdom people. They wanted to do something that mattered. And it says, but after, watch this, but after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up. So the kids of the kids that Joshua brought in, one generation back, it says they grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. One generation. One generation. One of the reasons that our church looks the way that it does and doesn't cater to the preferences of church people and gets people involved very young is because Gen X left church. And we said like, oh, we didn't, we just left church. We didn't leave God. Yeah, well, you can't leave his house without leaving him. And after you used all the resources and you stopped sowing seed and we stopped sowing seed, we ended up with the pigs far from our father and now I think Gen X is coming back, but I'm saying, yeah, I studied this. I, one of the reasons why we don't care about church people forever, they're like, oh, why don't you play different videos in the lobby? And I'm like, I don't care. I don't care about that. Why don't you wear different shoes? I don't, let me wear which, I don't care. Does it matter? Church people. Some of you are like, what's a church people problem? It's like regular people problems, but just a lot smaller, like way smaller, laughable almost. One generation away. We built this church. I'm like, we're one generation away from losing Christianity in our nation. One generation away. Why do you think Canadian society looks crazy right now? Oh, so much I want to say. I'm not going to do it. Get myself in trouble. Why does it look crazy? Because your grandparents and your parents didn't ask the right questions. They didn't live on mission with the only thing that mattered. That's why we're in this state. 
We're one generation away from crazy or we're one generation away from revival. Pick. Choose today. What do you want to do? Um, I think that we're just building a foundation for the next generation. I don't think we're doing anything yet. I think this is the foundation for what my kids are going to do, your kids are going to do, and their kids are going to do. They're going to make what we look, what, what we did for Jesus look like kindergarten. They're going to look back. I'm going to be, I'm going to be grandpa, and my grandkids are going to be there. And they're going to be like, Grandpa, we know that you tried. And you did good, considering what you were. You, did, you know, I'm proud of you. Oh, what a day that would be. You know, um, I was in a room one time at a family reunion I was invited to, and the grandfather was in the middle of the room. Nicest guy in town. Everybody loved him. Felt like a beautiful guy. I, then I noticed something. Everybody walked past him, though. They'd come by, and the grandkids would give him a hug or something, and people would exchange like a pleasantry and keep moving. And I realized he's in the middle of the room, but they care the least about what he has to say. I'm like, why is that? It's been bugging me for a long time. Why is that? Why, why were there nobody around him asking him, like, so how do you get out of a marriage problem? I'm stuck. We don't know what to do right now. How do you, how do you get past an addiction? How do you get past, what do I do with my teenagers? Help me. Your words matter. You could help me. I don't know what to do. Help me live on purpose. I'm, I have questions about God. You know, will anybody care what, what you think? Are you just going to be the nice person in the middle of the room? You know what I realized he never did? He never spoke the truth when it was hard. He never confronted things that he, he never killed a Goliath. You know, then I look at my parents and the grandkids now, you know, and my oldest daughter, Arwen is 21. She works for the church right now and uh, she's going to get fired later this week, but <laughs> no, she's amazing. But, but, my oldest one is 21. My four daughters still go every Friday night to their house. They started this because they know what it's like to pastor. And they're like, we just want to give you a night off from your kids. And the kids have been going ever since years and years and years. And it's still the highlight of their week. I don't even think they want to live at my house. They love going and spending time with grandma and grandpa. Now, the funny thing is they don't make fun of them. And they should probably sometimes because the whole technology thing. And they're like, yeah, grandpa doesn't, grandma doesn't. They don't make fun of them. They respect them. They revere them. They listen. They lean in. They hear stories of my parents going to third world nations and doing hard things for Jesus. And they, now my parents could have come up in business and could have made a lot more money and done it, spent it on a lot of different things. But they decided a long time ago to serve the Lord and to pass it on to their kids and now their grandkids. And I realized. What a heritage that is. That will outlive them. You know, when we think about our parents dying, I don't know how you feel about that. But as a Christ follower, with Christ following parents, I don't really feel sad about that. I know that I'm going to be sad because I'm going to miss him, but I'm not going to be selfish because Jesus needs him. 
And it's time that they pass on from their labors at some point. My parents are in good health. I'm not setting you up for anything. Now, when Pastor Aaron thinks about my parents dying, she just starts crying. Like, stop talking about this. I'm like, well, but here's the thing. Their heritage lives on in me and lives on in my children and will live on in their children. Like, they're still with us. We still say the same words that they taught us. They're like, they are with us forever because they taught us something that mattered. Because they taught us how to spend resources and a life on something that actually mattered. You know, um, at church, we're going to be creating what's called a venue legacy team. And we're going to ask a bigger question. Uh, Scott and Josh and I are going to start this team. This is a team for that marries business. It's a business community. And if you're in business, if you do well for yourself, you can't even get on this team unless you're like fully tithing and giving offerings already. Because this team is going to ask, like, what if we did this with our resources? And it went into eternity. We're going to pour gas on the fire of the vision of God of the church and see what can really happen. Do something that really matters with this. Because we can leave it all to somebody else and leave all these Or we could do something that actually matters in the world. And we could actually allow God to pour gas in the fire of our business if we ask the right question. If you're interested, talk to Scott. Go to the brick wall. We'll get you some information about that. But we are one generation away from crazy or one generation away from revival. But I'm not even asking one generation questions. I'm wondering about the one behind that. Deuteronomy 6 says this. God is speaking to Moses, and Joshua was there to hear this. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Now here's the thing about Joshua. He did that, actually. But we don't see that Joshua's kids took over Israel and led them. So in some regard, they did get the next generation. Those were the ones that followed him into the land. But one generation underneath that, he didn't teach them to teach their kids. He's like, God is trying to say like, Joshua, yes, conquest of the land is great. But you know what matters even more? Your grandkids. You know what's more important? Your grandkids, their kids. All the land that they got was for nothing because one generation away, they all went back to serving the gods of the people around them that had destroyed the generations that came before that. He said, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. If you stop talking about them, you'll go back to Egypt. You'll go back to Babylon. It's a cycle. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Yeah, as for me and my house and the next generation and the next generation, we will also serve the Lord. This whole thing that's like, well, I'm just going to let my children find their own way. Are you crazy? God didn't tell you that. Train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord if you want them to succeed. If you hate your children, let them find their own way. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. Come on, I'm talking to Canada right now. Live in the richest, most producing nation maybe on the planet. And our grandfathers and great-grandfathers came here. Wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only and take your oaths in his name. 
Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. You're ready in the future when your son asks you. And these stipulations and decrees and laws, what's the meaning of them? This seems hard. That the Lord your God has commanded you. Tell him. Tell your son. Oh, they just make a lot of sense. No. Tell your son one thing. You ready? We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We were slaves. We're not going back. We were slaves. You're not supposed to be a slave. We follow the Lord because you're not going to be a slave. Your kids aren't going to be slaves in the land that God has given you. When my kids were young, even now, you know, back when we used to write checks to the house of God. You know what checks are? I feel like about a lot of young blank stares. You used to have to write, read and write, and do math, and write out 1,280 and cents. We'd leave the checks out. My kids now, it's like, we didn't make our giving to the Lord a secret. We told them about it. We taught them about it. They'd be like, Dad, that's a lot of money. And this is what we would say. We had nothing. The devil had us by the throat. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. This is nothing. This is nothing. You have everything, but we had nothing. This is the least we can do for the Lord our God so that our children don't return to slavery. Don't you ever forget, my daughters, don't you ever forget what the Lord has done for us. Don't you ever forget Egypt. Don't you ever forget what that was like. Don't you ever forget the pain and the lash when the devil got into your home and caused you pain, don't you ever forget what he really wants to do. But don't you ever let your children and their children fall back into slavery. You know, I've been thinking about this. Why do some churches die? Because they're trying not to. The devil can't do this to you. If you've already bought your tombstone. If you've already died to self and died to all your ego and all your pride and all the things that personal happiness and you want real happiness, you want something that matters, you gotta ask a legacy question. The devil can't do this to you if you already own your own tombstone. When we came here, we were under so much duress as a family. And I don't recommend talking to the devil that much, so this is a little bit weird. But I said one time, I'm like, devil, you better kill me before we get there. Because if we get there, you're not going to be able to stop Jesus. If we get to Airdrie, you're not going to be able to stop. So kill me if you can. And he tried. And the 30 people that came with us, we didn't know what we were doing at the time. But we actually bought a venue church tombstone. And we had inscribed on it something that you hear every week. A life saved is worth everything. You can't kill people who are already dead. I don't think that's just a good church tombstone. That's what I want on my tombstone. 
that my wife will not let me budget right now because she's too cheap. Put it on my tombstone. A life saved is worth everything. To him, a life saved is worth everything. In the day-to-day and in the pain, You know, people are like, you don't really mean that. I mean every cent that I'll ever make. I would pay for you to come to Christ. Every drop of blood in my body. You don't mean that. Try this. There was a day we had nothing. We were slaves of Pharaoh. You're not going to be a slave if we can help it. I found something that was worth dying for. I saw something that was worth the dying for. And I saw you. Because Jesus saw you before you even got here. We saw you before we came here. We saw you, and you were worth dying for, and you're worth living for. Give us vision, God, to see what you see. Give us power to set captives free. Let the church awake this hour. Let the church awake. Now, I want to roll this into a time where you make an oath to the Lord, where you swear a vow to the Lord in his name, and where you decide today so that you look back to this moment and you decide that's what's getting put on my tombstone. That's what I'm living and dying for, a worthy cause that would please the Lord my God. And I want us to rock this celebration out. And I want us to challenge everything that the enemy has tried to bring into our nation, into our city. I want us to send him a message today that the church will rise up.